Ephesians chapter number 6. We're going to be looking this morning at verse 18 down through verse number 20. And so that means that we have one more message in Ephesians, which will close it out with the final greeting that uh, Paul gives to the church in Ephesus. Uh, But this particular passage that we look at here this morning, I believe one to be of great importance for us as it flows and is connected to what we've been studying in uh, this matter of spiritual warfare and the whole armor of God. And I've titled the message this morning, The Practice We Can't Live Without. The practice we can't live without. And you're going to look and see in this text that that practice is the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. And so let's read our text together, beginning in verse 18, as Paul's writing to them and giving instruction regarding this uh, matter of spiritual warfare that ties into our Christian living, but also into other areas of, of praying. And notice in verse 18, Paul the Apostle writes, He instructs them to be praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The practice that we cannot live without is the practice of prayer. We need to practice prayer, and we also need others to practice prayer on behalf of us, don't we? The practice of prayer, both with us and others, is a vital necessity to the life of the Christian. How important is it to the life of the Christian? It's probably not possible to give it a proper measurement of its importance. Charles Spurgeon once said this, when asked what is more important, praying or reading the Bible, he answered, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? And that is a great illustration as to the importance of prayer. You can't live without inhaling and exhaling. The Christian needs to be taking in the Word of God. If you're not taking in the Word of God, that is, that, is, that is a danger to your Christian life. If you're not exhaling, you're not offering out prayer, that is also a danger to the Christian life. Prayer is certainly in, is invaluable to the Christian life, and especially when we consider the matter of spiritual warfare that every believer is engaged in. And this is the context of Paul's writing in this passage. This directly flows out of and is connected to the spiritual warfare that he's been discussing, that he's been instructing them about. And you notice that our text in verse 18, it picks up in the middle of a sentence. In the middle of a sentence. And so for, for time's sake and sermon breaking up the text's sake, we, we start there. But the sentence has been ongoing from really verse 16. He says, "...in all circumstances take up the shield of faith." with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And there you have a period. There you have where the sentence was enjoined together. 
But this sentence reveals the call to the Christian to take up the whole armor of God for this spiritual battle. We looked at that last week as to how important each of these pieces of armor is to the Christian life. We need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need our, our feet with the gospel, uh, sh- uh, have the shoes of the gospel of peace and the shield, the, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. All of those things, okay, are, are vital for us. But connected to this is the use of prayer. Now, what is prayer in this context? You see, prayer is not a piece of armor but rather the means of properly applying the pieces of armor. The means in which we engage in the battle. The means by which we focus our hearts on having this warfare. You know, we, uh, we sing a beloved hymn called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. I love that hymn. Written by George Duffield. And in this hymn, one of his stanzas sings and goes like this. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. But notice this part. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with what? Prayer. Put on with prayer. Where duty, cause, or danger be never wanting there. These are true words that we sing. And they convey the message of this text. You see, the text before us is really one of the most comprehensive passages on prayer in all of the Bible. Now, you have an abundance of passages on prayer, but this one just kind of all connects in her together. It teaches us when to pray. teaches us how to pray. teaches us why to pray. It teaches us uh, 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 what to pray in a very short and powerful fashion. And so what do we glean here from this passage? Just two uh, headings that we'll uh, divide this text up by here today. Notice with me, number one, in our notes, we see the command for the church to pray. The command for the church to pray. And, and Paul gives some things here that, that are tied in to how we ought to pray and, and this reality of prayer that should be the practice of our life. Notice with me, firstly, we must pray continually in all of life. We must pray continually. In all of life. What does he say here in verse 18? We're going to break down this verse and, and, and dig out the nuggets of gold that are here within it. He says that we should be praying when? At all times. Praying at all times. Now, through this text, he emphasizes the importance of all regarding prayer. We're to pray at all times. We're to pray uh, uh, with all prayer and all perseverance and for all the saints. It, It shows us the encompassing nature of what Paul is communicating here with the matter of prayer. You see, there is never a time... When, 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 when Paul says to pray at all times, he means that we ought to pray without hesitation in every season or occasion of life. There's never a time... When we should not pray or be hesitant about praying. There's never a time when we should not pray or be hesitant about praying. Now, now this is a principle throughout other letters. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, a very, very short verse. If you want to start with Scripture memory, here's a great one to start out with. Three words, not that hard. Pray without ceasing. That's a great one to hide in your heart. 
Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. What is it to pray without ceasing? It's to pray constantly. It is to pray that it is that praying should be the impulse of the Christian regularly at any given time. Prayer is not to be limited. A limited practice for certain occasions. But an unlimited practice for every occasion. But how often is prayer limited to only certain occasions? How often do people pray only only when such and such happens or such and such is going on in their life? Then they get real serious about praying. When there's catastrophe or when there's great trouble or when there's trial or temptation, something heavy that's burdening us, that is when we're most often prone to pray, isn't it? Desperation drives people to their knees. When we're worried and when we're concerned, we're easily prompted to pray. Even the godless world around us, when they are in moments of desperation and feel like their life's on the line, what do they cry out? Oh, God, please. Even though they may not be a Christian, they, that's, something, that's an impulse that they do. And, and, and they call out to God even though, uh, even though they don't really have an idea what they're doing in praying. You see, the thing is, we're not like the godless world around us, are we? We're not. The godless world around us, they may pray, but they don't have access to the throne of grace. (laughs) You understand who has access to the throne of grace? It's you, believer. You have access to God anywhere and at any time in your life because you are in Christ. Hebrews teaches us this so plainly, and it's a wonderful truth. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christian, you have the immeasurable privilege of coming before the Almighty, the Holy One, in His throne room with confidence, all because of Christ, our great high priest. You are a believer priest. You're not bound to come to God at one particular time or one particular place. We can approach him whenever and wherever we are. You notice this, that Paul says pray at all times. Why does he say pray at all times? Because you are always, in the context of this passage, in every season of life, at every moment in your life, you are engaged in this spiritual warfare. There's never a time when you're not engaged in it. There's never a time. There is never a time in your life, whether you're in a season of peace and prosperity or of trial and temptation, that you are free from the need of God's divine strength and help. At every season, at every moment, you are in need of God's help. You and I are absolutely powerless without the Lord. And do you understand that the very act of prayer is an admission of being powerless. The very act of prayer is an admission to being powerless. Prayer is an appeal to someone, the one who is greater than you. The reason we pray is because we go to the one who can do what we can't do, who can help us where we can't help ourselves, who can do all these things. We pray to the one who's all-powerful and can help us in our life, especially in our spiritual battles we face. You know, we've been talking about 
Pilgrim's Progress, and they're going through part two of that in Sunday school about uh, Christian's family. But in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, there's a time when Christian was met with desperate need. He came and went through the valley of the shadow of death. As you read in that little passage, he has the sword of the Spirit, he's got the armor of God, and he seems to not be prevailing as he was needing to prevail. And there's another weapon that he brings out. What was that weapon called? All prayer. All prayer. When he felt like he was on the, on the edge of falling in, uh, in, in this darkness, in this valley, he cries out in all prayer, and that is what brings him the deliverance. He needed it in that moment. And so, Christian, we cannot afford not to pray in this pilgrimage to the celestial city, unto the Lord's presence in heaven. John Bunyan rightly said, Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Christian, you're going to have times when you feel like you're strong and doing well. You need to pray in those times. That's when you're prone to fall. You're going to have times when you're weak and feeble and feel like you can't go on. You need to pray in those times. Through the valleys and through the mountains, prayer must be part of your life. That's what Jesus taught. He taught his disciples that they ought always to pray and not lose heart in Luke 18. He, Paul recontinues this in Colossians 4.2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. I like this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. Commenting on this need for prayer at all times. He says, prayer is not merely the action of a moment. It is a lifestyle, the focusing of a person-to-person relationship with God. It is the expression of a life lived out in the presence of God, before the face of God, in which our constant communion with God comes into conscious expression. So the call for us today, as we hear these words, I challenge all of us, including myself, Christian. Do you pray at all times in your life or only on certain occasions when it gets really bad? Is prayer a regular practice in your life? If not, you must repent of your prayerlessness and your self-dependence because that's what it boils down to. When we neglect prayer... It's a sin not to pray, number one. But number two, when we neglect prayer, we're proposing that we're good in our own strength. Christian, we're not. We are not. You need prayer. Notice with me letter B this morning that not only must we pray continually at all times in life, but we must pray dependent upon the Holy Spirit's help. We must pray dependent upon the Holy Spirit's help. Verse 18, notice that he says... To be praying always, how? In the Spirit. Be praying always in the Spirit. Now, as we look at the life of the Christian, is there any aspect of the Christian life that we're to do without the Spirit? Can you live your Christian life without the aid and influence of the Holy Spirit? The answer is an emphatic no. You can't. 
Living the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is an impossibility. That is why you need Him. That is why He indwells you in Christ. Because you can't do it in your own strength. The arm of flesh fails you. And so Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this directly ties into what Paul has commanded earlier in this section of application in Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 18, what did he instruct them to do? He said to them to not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess or debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you have some random impulse and you get all hyper-emotional. Being filled with the Spirit means that you are under His influence and control. You're yielded to Him in your life. He's the influence that guides you. He's the influence that you submit to in your life. It is to be governed by Him. And that applies to all areas of the Christian life, right? The secret life of the Christian and the public life of the Christian. His life in his home, his life in the workplace, his life in the community, his life in the church should be governed or influenced by the Spirit of God. Now, Paul's focus here is on prayer. Prayer. Do we need the Spirit's influence and help in praying? Do we need that? Absolutely we do. You see, there's often times in my own prayer... I will ask the Holy Spirit to help guide me to pray, as I ought to pray. Because if not, I'm prone to pray in ways that aren't really in accordance with His will. You see, the, the, the mentality here is that when I pray, I, I'm yielding, I'm seeking to be, to be molded and given unto the will of God in my prayer, and not necessarily my own will. You see, every time that we pray, our approach should always be, your will be done and not my own. And the truth is, I often don't know how to pray as I ought to. But praise God, the Holy Spirit is a help to me in prayer. He aids me in prayer. He is one who works in our prayer life. Let me point this out to you. Go backwards to Romans chapter number 8 for for a moment. Romans chapter number 8. Verse 26 through verse 27. Notice this passage with me, if you would. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 through verse 27. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'm so thankful for that because I'm weak. I'm weak. All of us are weak. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that a wonderful truth, Christian? This is a truth that ought to comfort you in your prayer life. Say, well, why? Because when we pray, guess what? You're not going to be perfect in what you say or how you say it. You're not called to be perfect. We are imperfect. That's the reason the Holy Spirit dwells in us, to help us, to aid us, to guide us. 
And so the Spirit helps us in our weakness, which we, we all identify with that. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so the main thing here is that every time we pray, we should recognize our weakness before God. We desperately need the Spirit's help in our prayers. We're called to be conscious of that reality. Lord Jesus, help me in this moment of prayer. Jude says the same thing. Jude in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now allow me to just make something plain to you here, that this call to pray in the Spirit is not about speaking in tongues. It's not about uttering some gibberish that only God can understand, but even you don't know what you're saying. The charismatic movement has hijacked this terminology to make it mean what it doesn't mean. Praying in the Spirit is the simple practice of praying in dependence on the Spirit and in conformity to what the Spirit desires. And so, Christian, let me ask you this this morning. Do you pray with a conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit in that prayer life? Do you pray recognizing your need for the aid of the Holy Spirit even as you pray? We ought to see this. Notice with me, letter C, that we must pray promptly in all ways necessary. Pray promptly in all ways necessary. If you come to verse 18, you'll notice that he adds a little thing here at the end of this sentence. He says that regarding praying in the Spirit, we're to do so with all prayer, with all prayer and supplication. Two different words that... Uh, give the, the same principle of bringing petitions and, and requests to God, praying. So what exactly does Paul mean by this phrase, adding this at the end of this phrase? Well, there's a couple interpretations I'll share with you. Some interpret this to, uh, to refer to a summarizing of, of all forms of prayer that we use, that Paul's using this to summarize all, all the ways in which we pray. How is it that we pray? What kind of prayers do we offer to God? Well, I've given you a few. We offer prayers of praise unto God. When we pray, we ought to praise Him, acknowledging His greatness, His glory, His character, His works. We ought to pray in that manner. We pray offering thanksgiving to God for His provisions and blessings and answered prayers. We offer prayers of confession of our sins. We bring our sins to Him, acknowledging them and seeking forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 teaches us. We offer prayer of intercession for others. Intercession is when we're, we're petitioning specifically for someone and, and, and something. And then there's also just general prayers of petition, requests in general. Paul said it this way, Philippians 4.6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So, so, so all of these kinds of prayers are seen in Scripture, and they should be part of our life. You ought to praise Him when you pray. Thank Him when you pray. Confess your sins when you pray. Intercede for others when you pray. Give petitions when you pray. But some others interpret this as a way of maybe that we, how we pray at any given time. i share one one. one uh, portion here from John MacArthur's commentary, he says, scriptural precept and allowance suggests we may pray publicly or privately, in loud cries, in soft whispers or silently, deliberately and planned or spontaneously, while sitting, standing, kneeling, or even lying down, 
at home or in church, while working or while traveling, with hands folded or raised, with eyes open or closed, with head bowed or erect. We see praying in all of these forms, don't we? So, so basically, what do you find? The Christian should pray in, what, in any way that they can in whatever situation they are in. Obey every impulse to pray. You're driving down the road, guess what? And you feel the need to pray, pray. Just don't close your eyes. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray at your house. If you feel like you need to fall on your face to pray because you're so weighted with the need of prayer, do so. If you're standing and you won't feel like you need to pray, pray that way. There's no perfect way in which you ought to pray in this manner. The point is, is that we pray with all prayer and supplication. I praise God for this. Anywhere, anytime, and in all these ways, I can pray to Him. You can pray in your mind. Don't have to say a word, but be praying. I do that all the time. All the time. You can pray out loud. You may even utter out loud cries in your prayer. Sometimes that's necessary. The point is is that you are a person who practices prayer. This is what it's about. Don't, don't, over, don't overcomplicate it. So, so some people don't pray because, well, I just don't know how to pray. You, you know how you learn to pray? You pray. The best way to learn how to pray is just pray. Be a person of prayer. Start praying. You're not going to do it wrong. If you're in Christ, understand. He knows your heart. And even though you may not express it exactly how you think you ought to, the Holy Spirit's the one who aids us. Remember that? He carries it into the throne room of heaven, and it's perfect before Him. Pray, friend, pray. Don't put it off. Do it immediately. What matters most here is that we are a people of prayer because prayer is foundational to the Christian life. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our Prayer life. So with this in mind, Christian, I ask you today. I'm not here for you just to hear words of Scripture and then, oh, that was a great sermon. I'm here about you. About you. Do you pray as you ought to pray? This is what we need. If we're ever going to see revival in the churches, which we are in desperate need of, the people of God must pray. There will be no revival without it. There will be no movement of God without it. We need to pray, friend. We need to pray. Churches are diminishing this hour. We must pray, friend. We must pray. We need God's help. So, Christian, do you pray? Do you pray? And if you don't, if you haven't been praying like you ought to, commit to doing so today. Make today to be the day that I'm going to learn how to pray better. I'm just going to start doing it. Because I must. I'm called to it. This is what God calls me to, is to pray. But notice with me number three, number two this morning, the second heading. We, we, we see the call to pray. That, that There's very plain here. He says to pray at all times. Pray in the Spirit. Pray, pray with all supplication and prayer. But notice with me number two, the cause for the church to pray. There's a reason this is so important. There's a reason that we need this. Three things. First, we pray for protection in Christ because we need that in this warfare. We pray for protection and guidance 
Now, we know plainly from this text that we need protection because that's what the armor of God is about, right? It's about protection, about protecting your heart and your soul and your life. The true protection of the armor of God, though, it flows from prayer that looks upward in faith to the true protector, God himself. Yet there are many Christians who take hit after hit and endure great wounds from the evil one because they lack prayer. Because they lack prayer. Prayer is so greatly neglected, and there is a reason for this. You know why it is? Because Satan and your flesh work hard to bring resistance to prayer in your life. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed, I've noticed it in my own life, that there is a a stronger resistance to praying over certain things in my life. When I feel like I need to pray, something comes up to distract me. Or my mind goes somewhere else. Or there's there's this feeling in me that, well, maybe I'll pray later. Let's just put it off to a little later, right? There is a strong resistance to the prayer life of the Christian. That is spiritual warfare, friend. If you feel resistance to your prayer life, that is warfare. Why is that? I love this quote by William Cowper. He says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Do you know why that makes Satan tremble? Because when you pray, you're appealing to the one who has more power than him. When you pray, you're appealing to the one who overrules Satan in every way. You're praying to the one who is the sovereign over Satan and that Satan cannot overcome. And so prayer appeals to the all-powerful one, the only one who is truly able to strengthen you with the strength that overcomes the warfare, to protect you from the assaults of the evil one and deliver you from these things. And so with this in mind, Paul says in verse 18 again, this latter part, he says, to that end, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. To what end is he talking about? You see, we pray at all times in the Spirit and in all prayer and supplication to the end that we are alert and persevering. We are alert with all perseverance. Now, we know that to keep alert is to be always aware and on guard of the threats against us, isn't it? I find this truth intriguing even if you, if you, as you look at the, the animal world, right? The other, earlier this week, I was walking back behind the church, and sometimes I'll do that just to get some fresh air and, you know, give my mind a break. And I was just kind of looking around, and then all of a sudden, this deer pops out and jolts away, right? I had no clue he was there, but he knew I was there. But as, he's, as this doe is running off, he starts blowing. And if you know what deer do, they, they make this blowing sound. And what do they do that for? They do that to alert the others, other deer in the area that, hey, there's danger here. We, we need to get out. Be aware. But if you hunt and, and, and if you've been in the woods at any time at all, you know that deer are very, very alert about everything around them. Because they're food for something, someone else. Us, right? <laughs> That's why when you hunt, you don't just go out there and they'll just come up to you. You've got to work at it. You've got to be crafty with it. But their alertness is, is a lesson to me as to, why, why are they so alert? Because their life is at stake. Their life is at stake. 
And you understand, Christian, when it comes to the spiritual warfare here, why, why is it so important throughout all the New Testament that we are alert? Because your life is at stake. We don't understand how powerful and how crafty, how supernatural the enemy is against us in our life. You can be going down a wrong road and not realize it before you've gone off the cliff. We're easily deceived. We must keep alert. We must have this alertness. We can't afford to be unaware or let our guard down. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples that night he was betrayed? He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. What's Jesus go there to do? He goes there to pray in such agony that he's sweating drops of blood. The power of darkness or the hour of darkness was at hand. And what did he say to his disciples? He asked them or told them in Mark 14, 38. He said, watch, let's keep alert. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice this. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, old Peter, he had a good heart, didn't he? He loved Jesus. He said, oh Lord, I'm willing to die with you. But in that moment, in that hour of great pressure and and, and the assault of the enemy, where do we find Peter? Denying that he ever knew Jesus. Just a few yards away from the Lord was. His spirit's willing, but his flesh was weak. What do we find with those disciples that night? Did they do what Jesus told them to do? No, Jesus, after he's done praying, he comes over to them. What are they doing? They're sleeping. Sleeping. You understand, Christian, when you're asleep in your Christian life, you're not aware, you're not praying, you're easy prey, easy prey for Satan and his forces. We must persevere in prayer and be alert. You see, the word perseverance here means firm persistence, (laughs) firm persistence in an undertaking or circumstance, being firm. And so, Christian, you and I are called where we must not waver from praying for protection in this spiritual battle. Prayer is a means to keeping ourselves alert. Prayer is a means of our perseverance in the faith. We must persevere in prayer, and by prayer we persevere in the warfare. It's all interconnected. Perseverance and prayer go hand in hand. So, Christian, do you pray with perseverance? Do you pray with alertness? Do you pray for protection in your Christian life? We must do this. Notice with me letter B as we look at eight, verse 18. We've gotten a lot out of 18. The last point's going to have the last two verses. But you look at verse 18. Notice what else Paul says here. He says that we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. And notice this last statement, making supplication for who? All the saints. All the saints. Well, well, who's the saints? Aren't the saints those guys they make statues of, you know, and do that sort of thing? No. You know who the saints are? The saints are every believer. Every 
believer in Christ is a saint. Saint comes from that Greek term hagios, meaning holy ones. You're a saint because God in Christ has set you apart as his own. Christ has sanctified you, cleansed you, and, and put you uh, in, into, in, into a different category than the rest of the world. You are set apart, consecrated to Him. You're holy before Him in Christ. You are a saint of God. You don't become a saint by being a better Christian than someone else. The moment you are born again, you are made a saint. You notice throughout the letters, who does Paul write to? He doesn't say to the sinners in Ephesus. What's he say? To the saints in Ephesus. To the saints in Philippi. To the saints in Rome. To the saints in Galatia. You are a saint, dear friend. This room is filled with saints if you're in Christ. And what's Paul say? To make supplication for all the saints. All the saints. You know why he says to pray for all the saints, all the believers? Because every believer is in the same spiritual warfare you are. Every one of us here today is experiencing the same kind of assaults, maybe in different ways. The same kind of trials, maybe in different ways. We are all going through this same kind of Christian life in which we have great opposition and turmoil and trouble and tribulation. And the reality is, most often, we are unaware of what our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing and going through. But that doesn't mean they're not going through it. It doesn't mean there's nothing there. We all have our own battles, our own trials, our own temptations that we face. Many times those experiences go unmentioned. Nevertheless, they are real. And what we find with the early church is that they, they were a church that banded together in praying for each other. Especially when there was great need for a brother or sister. When Peter was put into prison, what did the church do for him? They didn't say, man, I just, okay, sorry for Peter, hope he gets out of that. What did they do? Acts 12.5, so Peter was kept in prison, but, but, but earnest prayer. Earnest prayer was made to God by the church. The church together, banded together to pray for Peter. And as a result of that prayer, what happened? God delivered Peter. As you read that account, it's interesting. Peter goes and knocks on the door where they're praying. Someone opens the door and says, that can't be him. If they believe God would answer their prayers. It's fascinating as you read that account. They thought it must be his spirit or ghost or something like that. They've killed him. God answered their prayer right before their eyes, and they just kind of didn't, you know, light bulb, hey, you were praying and praying together, and this is what happens when you pray together. What great power flowed through the church when they prayed. And friends, certainly we must pray for ourselves in this warfare, but God forbid that we do not pray for our fellow soldiers. This quote by Charles Hodge is so good for this particular point. He says, no soldier entering battle prays for himself alone, but for all his fellow soldiers also. They form one army, and the success of one is the success of all. In like manner, Christians are united as one army, and therefore have a common cause, and each must pray for all. 
Christian, we think about this directly to us. We must pray for the saints right here in our church. You ought to routinely be lifting up your church family in your prayers. This is to be a regular practice. It is my practice every day. Is to pray for you. I recall the words of the prophet Samuel in this matter, and this convicted me back when I first realized what he said. But he said, as the prophet of Israel, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Ceasing to pray for the people of God will sin to sin. And we can pray for those in our local church more specifically because we know them and we're better, better acquainted with them, maybe closer to them. Yet still, just this church does not encompass all the saints, does it? What does all the saints include? It includes all the saints who are everywhere else in this country, in this country and in this world. You understand that many of our brothers and sisters at this very moment face great oppression and persecution at the hands of enemies. We must pray for them. Many saints in our own nation are being deceived by the godless culture around us and falling by the wayside. We must pray for them. We must pray for them. Paul believed in the power of the prayers of God's people. He said to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 1.19, I know that through your prayers, through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn to my deliverance. He believed in the power of prayer from the people of God. We need to believe that same truth. Do you believe in that power of prayer? Are you praying for the saints in your church? Are you praying for the saints elsewhere? Let us pray for them. Letter C, and lastly, we pray for the proclamation of Christ. We pray for the proclamation of Christ. And this is where Paul closes out this little section here, the context of this, in verse 19 and verse number 20. Notice in verse 19, he says, And also for me. Now, Paul says, pray for me. Where is Paul right now? He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. Paul is in prison, and he's certainly in need of prayer, but... Paul says, pray for me, but his request is not really about himself or his circumstances. Paul doesn't ask them to pray for his release. Paul doesn't ask them to pray for his reprieve from his affliction. What does Paul want them to pray for concerning himself? It is this, it is that, the, is that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Christ. That fascinates me. Because if you and I were in prison, guess what we'd be praying for? Get me out of here. Get me out of here as fast as possible. Paul doesn't even mention that. He prays, pray to God in the Spirit, and He'll give me words of utterance. Boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Christ. You see, all of Ephesians woven throughout this is the mystery of the gospel revealed and applied to God's people. From eternity past to eternity future and everything in between. 
mystery of the gospel revealed and applied to the people of God. And this is Paul's concern. It's the proclamation of the gospel. Now notice that he says, pray for me that words may be given to him. Now, Paul knows how to use words. He knows how to speak. What's he talking about? He's asking for divine assistance when he preaches and proclaims the gospel. That he would have the power of the Holy Spirit in his words and that they would not be of his own flesh and of his own self. He wants not for his words to be of his wisdom or his eloquence or his charisma, but of God's power. Because that's what matters. It's not about how much charisma a man may have or how much he may be able to entertain you. It is about the words that are spoken that are the gospel, that are the word of God. Are they true and are they penetrating? That is what matters, friend. This is how Paul preached. Just as he wrote to the Corinthians. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5, through And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, all these feel-good preachers that grow crowds, guess where the crowds put their focus on? The good-feeling speaking. It's not in the power of God in the gospel. It's in the man. And so when the man goes by the wayside, so do they. See, what you win people with is what you keep them with. And if you keep people with the gospel, the power of the gospel, that's all it need, all you need to keep them. I don't have to get up here and dance and perform for you. If you love Jesus, you'll be here. If you love Jesus, you'll feed on the word of God. That's what it's about. Christian, this must be your prayer for all those who declare the gospel behind the sacred desk. When Charles Spurgeon was asked, what is the secret of your ministry? His answer was this. My people pray for me. We know how great Charles Spurgeon was, right? The Lord used him mightily. But his answer to that was the secret of his ministry. My people pray for me. And I, I, I take this to you from my own heart. How greatly I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers for divine assistance in preaching the word. Every time we gather. Because I am in desperate need of it. I need you to pray for me through the week as I'm studying and I'm digging in the scriptures, preparing to feed you. I need you to pray for me Sunday morning as I stand before you, that my words that I preach would be filled with power from on high, that Joseph would be cast off and that Jesus would be lifted up, that the word of God would be expounded and that I would not try to, to be here just to get your applause and approval, but that Christ is pleased. This is what church is about. It's about the exaltation of Christ through the word of God. His word expounded to the people. I'm in desperate need of your prayers. Every week. And every day. But this goes beyond just the ministers of God. This must also be the prayer for yourself and for all the saints as they engage in gospel evangelism. Because every single one of us are called to declare the glorious mystery of the gospel. 
And you need the Holy Spirit's help in doing so. Because just like prayer, there's resistance. Guess what else there's resistance to? Sharing the gospel with somebody. I'll wait for a better time. Well, I don't know if I should. That might make them upset. There's always resistance there. To which you need the Spirit's help to give you boldness, just as Paul prays here. Verse 20, he says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative who speaks on behalf of the authority of another. And like how Hodge puts it here, Charles Hodge, he says, an ambassador is one through whom a sovereign speaks. And that's exactly right, Christian. We have a sovereign who's chosen to speak through his people to declare his glorious grace of Jesus. Paul knows who he represents, and he takes that seriously. He needs prayer for boldness, for power, for opportunity, open doors to declare the gospel, as he says also to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Christian, do you pray for the gospel to march forward? Do you pray for yourself to be an agent of the gospel? Do you pray for those who stand before you declaring the gospel We must pray in this manner. So as we close this message, we see very plainly that prayer, it's a practice that we can't afford to live without. We can't. We can't afford to live without. We need to put on the armor of God and be victorious in this warfare. And we see that how we are to pray plays a major role in this. Pray at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication for all the saints and for the advancement of the gospel. Will you pray like this, church? Will you commit to praying in this manner? Pray, because this is what you're called to do today. Let's stand to our feet as we close. Father, we bow before you this morning. So thankful for this text of Scripture how greatly it is needed for your church in this present hour. One of the great weaknesses of the church in this era is a lack of prayer. We must pray, Father. Forgive us of our prayerlessness, our self-dependence, our satisfaction in the things of this world. Revive our hearts, O Lord that you would stamp eternity upon our hearts, upon our eyes, that you would spark a fire in us to see what we're truly living for. Help us to pray as we ought to according to this text. And Lord, if there's any here today that is lost and bound in their sin, they have never truly been born again. Maybe they've been in church, maybe they've got a lot of knowledge, maybe they've read this and that, but they've never been born again in their hearts. I pray, O God, that you would work in them as only you can. Bring conviction of sin over them. Show them that Christ is the only Lord and Savior, and that faith alone, faith alone in Christ alone is salvation. 
Bring them to saving faith today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.